All right. So today we will be covering Leviticus chapters two and three. Chapters two and three. Uh, if you <clears throat> if you were with us, uh, we started Leviticus about two weeks ago, and from chapters one through six, we're actually talking about different kinds of offerings. Uh, offerings are sacrifices being brought to an altar, being brought before God, and they're made before and they're made as a sacrifice of worship to God. Right. Uh, just to kind of give a, sh- a quick recap, just so that you guys can understand what's going on here, there is a tabernacle with amongst the nation of Israel, and this tabernacle is considered to be holy. It's the holy of holies, the holy place. And that tabernacle is a small part in here. All right, that small little. A rectangular place within the within the bigger courtyard, all right. And so within the tabernacle, only the priests are allowed to enter the tabernacle. But everyone else, as they're bringing their sacrifices to to sacrifice to God, their animals, their we'll, we'll look at the grain offering today. As they're bringing these sacrifices, these offerings to God, they're being sacrificed outside of the tabernacle, which is also called a tent of meetings, and they're being sacrificed out here at this altar, all right. Uh, so they're, they're doing it within the courtyard. So when it says in, in Leviticus that the offerings are being brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, they're talking about the tent of meeting within the bigger, uh, within the, the bigger courtyard. All right, so they're being brought to that entrance and being sacrificed in front. And they're not allowed to enter into the tabernacle. Only the priests are. Uh, we'll talk more about the priesthood as we get to those chapters. But today we are talking, we're going to move on to the grain and the peace offering. Now I want to make a correction to something I mentioned last week. I, I realized I made, I made a mistake as I kept studying these, this passage. Uh, last week I presented to you guys five major offerings that's being talked about in the first six chapters. Right? We have the first three offerings which are uh, called the common offerings. Um, and then there's the expiatory offerings. Right? That's the offerings that are... Uh, pretty much washes away our sins, right? Um, and so we got the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, the peace offering. But I realized that these offerings, I, I mentioned last week that these offerings were brought, the burnt offering at least, I was, I, we were talking about last time. I mentioned it was being brought twice a day. And I realized as I was studying it, it wasn't being brought twice a day by everyone in Israel. It was actually being brought twice a day by the priests representing the entire nation of Israel, right? Because everyone in Israel can bring uh, animal sacrifices twice a day, they'll run out of animals. Um, and so it was really the priests in, in represent, representing the entire nation of Israel, right? They were doing that, these offerings twice a day before God. And so that's, and so that's something I, I wanted to correct because I realized, yeah, it wasn't all of Israel. It was actually done by the priests, all right? Another, another term for these common offerings is that they're also called voluntary, voluntary offerings, because these offerings were personal and voluntary. Uh, these offerings, people can bring them at any time. Uh, they can bring them whenever they please. They can bring them for different reasons. Uh, these are offerings, these are sacrifices that people bring because they want to praise God. They want to worship God. They want to thank God. Or they're, they're, they're simply just saying, hey, this is, I, I want to give this to you, God. Right. And so this is, again, this is, this is them of free will. They, they're, they're going before God saying, this is what I have to offer to you. And really the focus of these offerings, we got to remember the focus of the offerings is not in the regulations itself. The focus of these offerings is in the heart behind it. What's your reason bring these offerings? Why do you come before the Lord? What is it that you seek? Right, these offerings, you're, you're really saying that you love God. You love being in a relationship with God. 
Right? You're not bringing these offerings trying to necessarily please God so that he will love you. He shows his love to Israel already. He saved them from slavery. And this is, these offerings are more of a response of thankfulness and gratitude and delight in the Lord. Right? If you... You want to think about it this way, right? If you, if your parents, if your mom or dad tells you, say, hey, if you love me, you would take out the trash. They're not really saying that if you don't take out the trash, you don't necessarily love them. They're saying because there's that love already, there's that relationship already. You do, you take out, you do your chores, you take out the trash because you, you do it out of respect, out of love, out out of these, out of this delight of of having these having a relationship with who you're with, right? You're not doing it to earn their love. So these offerings then are all brought to God, and they all have similar workings. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of see that. We will, they, you're supposed to bring in the sacrifice. Um, it should be unblemished. Uh, if, there's, if it's an animal, that blood will be sprinkled upon the altar, representing this washing of sins. And then these sacrifices are being burned. And that burning of that sacrifice is worship to God. And each sacrifice also has their purpose. All right. Each one of these voluntary offerings, they have their purpose. The burnt offerings represents a wholehearted worship to the Lord. As I mentioned last time, the burnt offerings is the only offering where you burn the entire carcass of the animal. Nothing remains. It's a, it represents a wholehearted worship to the Lord. You're, you're, you're saying, I submit my entire life to you, God. The grain offering, as we'll see today, is an undef- represents an undefiled devotion to the Lord. And a peace offering, which we'll also cover today, celebrates your fellowship, your relationship with the Lord. And there's three, in Scripture, it actually talks about three different reasons why people give peace offerings. These are actually found in Leviticus chapter 6, which we won't get to until later. But there's a peace offering for Thanksgiving. People bring peace offerings when they complete a vow they give they made before the Lord. So if they made a Lord, like, I vow I'm going to do this. And when they complete it, they bring an offering to God, thanking God. Showing that, hey, I completed this, this vow that I made before you. Or it's just simply a free will offering. They're just doing it because they want to. All right. Now let's let's get into this a little bit. So take your Bibles, turn me to Leviticus chapter 2. We're going to look at chapters 2 and 3. I'm not going to read read through the whole thing. Instead, I'm just going to point out a few things here and there for you guys. So the first offering we're going to cover tonight is the grain offering. The grain offering, which represents an undefiled devotion to the Lord. Really what we're doing here is we're seeing here how this grain offering is a tribute from the worshiper given to God. Right? Uh, it says here in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1, if, when anyone brings a grain offering, and many times a grain offering can also be translated as a cereal offering. Why is cereal? I don't know. Why do we, why do we have an icebreaker about cereal? I, I'm not sure. Just... God, someone just all works together. Uh, if anyone here brings a cereal or grain offering as an offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and then so on. Grain offering. The word for grain here, the root word means to give or to lend. Right? To give or to lend. Uh, the, the word is usually used to, usually used when someone comes before a king or a ruler and they bring tribute to him. Right, they, right, in order to enter into the presence of a high royal, and someone in royal position, someone of higher authority for you, bring tribute to that person. Right? Tribute showing that you respect and you honor this person. It's similar to like when in Asian culture, when we bring like fruits to a, a, to a host, 
right? They invite you to home. Your parents always tell you, bring here, take some Korean pears and bring them, bring them to home. So you're, you're bringing tributes to that person, honoring them as, as your host. That's what this word means. That's what this grain offering is. So this grain offering is a tribute to honor God. The grain offerings here split to two categories, uncooked offerings and cooked offerings. Uh, in verse 1, it says, this offering shall be a fine flour. Right? So here the word fine flour, this is simply just the grain that's crushed and it's uncooked. It's uncooked flour. All right. And, and so we have this here. And then in verse 4, it talks about a grain offering that's actually been cooked. Right? So in verse 4, it says, when you bring grain offering, baked in the oven. So it's cooked. Uh, verse 5, there's, so there's three, actually three different kinds of ways of cooking this. In verse 5, if your offering is a grain that's already that's baked on a griddle. Right? So there's baked in the oven, the baked on the griddle. Um, and then verse, uh, verse 7 says, if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan. So it's pan-fried offering now. Right, so we have here pretty much different recipes of how to cook this grain offering. Um, don't know why. I guess these are just all these different ways of the way to prepare a grain offering. What's, what we see here in commonality here, what we see in commonality here is that every one of these grain offerings is mixed with olive oil. Every one of these offerings is mixed with olive oil. Um, if it's uh, if it's uncooked, it's mixed with olive oil and actually and frankincense. Frankincense is like a perfume. Mm -hmm. it's, it smells nice. It's a herby. Um, it, it's a fragrant herb that that, and then most likely they put it on there so that when it burns, it does, it smells great. The aroma is pleasing, all right, to the to the senses. Uh, but olive oil is also used in all the ways you cook. So when you're cooking these uncooked, when you're cooking these grain, you're mixing it with oil first, and then you. And then you cook it. So that's so every one of these are mixed. Every one of these grains are mixed with oil, and they're brought to the priest. And the priest will take part of that offering, whether it's uncooked or cooked, take part of that offering, and they'll burn it. They'll burn it on the altar, right? And this is the altar where they have all the burnt offerings, where they put all the animal carcasses. They burn everything on the same altar, right? And the smoke rises, and it becomes an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord, right? That, phrase used over and over again through these passages and the last part of this procedure here is that only part of the offering is actually burned the rest of it is actually declared holy and given to the priest to eat look at me in verse 3 it says here the rest of the grain offerings shall be for Aaron and his sons that's talking about the priests right Aaron is the first high priest of Israel his sons follow that tradition they all become priests the rest of the grain offerings for them it is the most holy part of the food's offering. Why is it given to the priests? The priest here eats the offering. The priests act as a mediator between Israel and the Lord. And so when, when the priest then eats the offering, it's symbolizing God's acceptance of this offering. In a way, God is communing with Israel. God is eating at the dinner table with Israel. That's that's what's rep, that's what's being represented here, and and this is also, and in and I guess in a more practical sense, uh, the priests Levites they weren't given any land in the Promised Land, so the only way they were to make, get food because they don't have land to farm and to uh, raise cattle, the only way to get food is through these offerings as well. So that that's that's a more practical aspect of it, but symbol symbolically, it's about the Lord communing with Israel.
these grain offerings so these grain offerings they're they're often added as an addition to many other offerings right if you're thinking about a tribute that's being brought to the lord how do you even enter the presence of the lord this this is you need some kind of actually you actually need a blood sacrifice because we're sinful beings before a holy God. The only way for us to come even to the presence of the holy God requires the death of an innocent animal. Which is why oftentimes the grain offering never usually comes alone. Sometimes it does. But usually it's offered after a burnt offering was done or a peace offering is done or a sin offering. It's usually added as an adjunct. That after you've been accepted into the presence of the Lord through the burnt offering, through the peace offering, you now bring tribute to him. The point being is that the grain offering symbolizes your devotion to the Lord. That after you've been declared holy by God, you are now devoted to him. You're consecrated for him. You're dedicating your life for him. The, when, the, when the grain here, when, it's, when we see that as being, when it's being mixed with oil, oil is, common, is commonly used throughout scripture to, to represent an anointing. Right? You anoint people with oil. You, it says in Scripture, you pour on their heads and it drips down. You're anointing them. You're consecrating them. You're declaring them as holy. That's what's being done here. Now, what is the purpose then? What is the purpose behind this? We see here, more than just a symbolic thing, there's a purpose behind why we people bring the grain offering. Look at me in verse 2. In verse 2, it says that, the priest will take a handful of the fine flour and oil with all his frankincense. And it says here that the priest shall burn this. The priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar. The memorial portion. Uh, the, the word is used again in verse 9. The priest shall take from the grain offering its memorial per portion and burn it. Burn this on the altar. The memorial portion here is... It, is, it means you're remembering. You're remembering God. You're remembering His grace. You're remembering that everything belongs to Him. That this grain that you have, uh, that, that, you, that, you, that you planted, you sowed, you watched it grow from the ground, all of this comes from God. It belongs to the Lord. You're remembering His goodness. You're remembering His mercy. You're remembering His blessings. And, you're, you're, and so you're, you're bringing it before God. And you're saying, this this is yours. I, you gave this to me. You're remembering God's blessing upon you. In a way, this is, is, this is like the, the chef's special. I don't know if, how many of you guys actually cook. When you guys cook, I cook a lot. You guys know that from retreat. When you cook, you know, the chef will oftentimes take the, take the best parts and just leave that aside for himself. Right? So this, this is kind of what, that's kind of what we're seeing here. Just the chef's special is being set aside because it belongs to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. You're giving him what is what actually what's actually his, and so the grain offering then becomes a tribute. It becomes a tribute that commemorates really God's covenantal relationship with His people and His covenant with Israel and His covenant with us. Is that He promises to bless us. He promises to bless His people. And so what? And so that's what we see here. And then, and so that's the procedure of the grain offering. But that's not it. There's actually more information about the grain offering. Starting in verse 11. In verse 11 to 16, it's like a little appendix. 
to the offering, all right? So the first, uh, the first 10 verses is like, this is the procedure, this is the instruction manual, this is how you do the grain offering. Here's now appendix A, B, and C, all right? So in, so in verse 11, all right, we start to see some regulations around this. It tells us in verse 11 that no grain offering that you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey as a food offering to the Lord. So no leaven, no honey should be mixed in with this grain offering. You, you, don't, you don't put any of that stuff there, which is kind of sad because leaven's great. Uh, if you baked, ever bake, you, you know you want some rice to your dough that makes it nice and soft. It tastes good. Honey's sweet. But the reason why God forbids leaven and honey to be put into this grain offering it's because leaven and honey, they both have fermenting properties. And so most likely the association with leaven, leaven and honey with fermentation, what, what is that? That's actually decay. It, it represents death. There's a certain corruption to, to his property. And what happens here is that when you put leaven in anything, it, it permeates that entire food source. Right? You, leaven doesn't just stay in one part. You can't just cut it off. It permeates throughout. And so it will end up contaminating the whole offering itself. The idea here is that, not that leaven is bad in general. The, the, the idea here is that the worshipers, the worshipers' relationship with the Lord, your relationship with the Lord, must not be corrupted in any way. You must be wholly devoted to God. See, even a little leaven can spread through the entire loaf. It's a reminder that our relationship with God must be pure and sin-free. Sin. Sin is like a, like a poison. A little drop of poison in a glass of water contaminates the whole glass. I mean, you can't just put more water into the glass, hoping it goes away. The, the water is still poisoned. Poison will end up contaminating the whole thing. You actually need to remove it all, cleanse it, and put in new water into that glass. In the same way, our relationship with God, when we present ourselves to God, must not be contaminated at all. We must be pure and sin-free. And that's what's being represented here. And then it says in verse 13, that instead of having leaven and honey mixed in with your grain offering, it says here that you shall season all your grain offerings with salt you shall season all your grain offerings with salt and then here's the key phrase it says you shall not let the salt of the covenant with your god be missing from your grain offering the salt of your covenant salt as opposed to leaven and honey it doesn't it doesn't decay like them salt is a preservative right and in the old times when there's no fridge around the way you preserve meat, the way you preserve food, is by salting it. It preserves the food. And, and actually, many covenants during that time. So covenants, if you guys can remember church, you guys most likely heard the word covenant a lot. It's not just a biblical term. Covenants is, are done throughout the ancient history around that time, around in the, ancient, in the ancient Near East. And usually when covenants are made, right, between people, and it, what happens, they actually use salt to symbolize their commitment to that covenant that they made to that relationship oftentimes they will take i think some cultures will take salt and they'll actually they'll actually lick the salt together uh sometimes on the edge of a blade i don't know weird but it's just that sometimes that's what they do 
They use salt to represent, to symbolize their covenant, their commitment to the covenant that they made. And so what's going on here, what it means by the salt of covenant, is that it's a reminder for us. It's a reminder for us that there must be a covenantal faithfulness on both sides. On God's side and on our side. God will be faithful to bless Israel as Israel will be faithful to obey God. And then there's one more appendix here. One more appendix. In verse 14, it says here, If you offer a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruit, fresh ears, roasted with fire, crushed new grains. I mean, that, that sounds good. Fresh, fresh ears, roasted. Uh, I don't know. I, just, I think about corn on a cob on a, barbe- on a barbecue grill. Don't know why. But in any case, um, grain offering, first fruits. What is that? That is... The first fruit offerings, we actually won't cover that in here. Um, I believe it actually cover, it's talked about in Exodus, I think. Or um, I don't think it's covered actually in, in Leviticus. But the first fruit offering is the, represents the first and the best of your harvest. Right? During the harvest season, your first, the first crop that you gather and typically the best crop that you gather. All that is given to God. It's a it's, you're really celebrating God's blessings. And, 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 and what you're doing is you're dedicating your best to the Lord. You're dedicating your best to the Lord. Now what's going on here? What we see here is that the grain offering in general, the grain offering in general is a reminder to us as New Testament Christians, as the church, as people here living in this time, right? We don't, we don't bring this stuff to the Lord now. What this, what the grain offering does, what it does for us, is that it reminds us that we are to offer, that when we are to offer our bodies, right? Last week we covered, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. When we do that, we are called to give the Lord the best of ourselves, pure and undefiled. That our devotion to the Lord involves stewarding everything of all who we are, our bodies, our possessions, our skills, everything that we have. It's a constant reminder that it comes from God and we are to give it back to God. Let me ask you, what is your best? And what do you give to God? What is your best? What is your best, in terms of like, think about it this way, what is your, what is your favorite hobby, your favorite food? The, your, your best relationships. Do you give those to the Lord? What does that mean? Give, give these things to the Lord. It doesn't mean you give it up. But how do you consecrate it and dedicate it so that you're doing these things, you're enjoying these meals for the sake of the glory of God, to do all things for the glory of God? Let me ask you a more specific question. Something that probably applies for all of us. How do you use your time throughout your day? Do you give the best part of your day, the part where you know you're most awake, the part where you know you're most focused, do you give that to the Lord? You see, when we're talking about our hearts, our commitment to God, we're not giving Him our leftovers. We're giving Him we're dedicating ourselves and we're giving him our best. We're giving him all that we are. We're saying, this is why we live. I'm willing to use the, my most energy, my most focus, 
my my best skills, my greatest resources. I, I'm going to use it all so that the Lord will be pleased and the Lord will be glorified. See, the heart behind this grain offering, again, is not about the procedures and the rules. It's about the relationship you have with God. And with the grain offering, we are... We see here that there, what, it, what it expresses, it expresses an undefiled devotion between the worshiper and God. So that's the grain offering. Moving on to chapter 3. We see here in chapter 3 now the third offering, the third voluntary offering is a peace offering. And the peace offering, let me just quickly kind of go through this. The, the peace offering, is, uh, the word for peace is shalom. You guys heard this before, shalom. It means well-being or prosperous, right? So you're really, you're talking about the well-being of the individual. You're, you're, it's like when you, when you wish someone peace, you're saying, hey, may you prosper, may you have good health, right? You have, I don't know, in Star, in Star Trek, right? Spock would say, live long and prosper, right? Um, so, so we have this, that's, that's what shalom means, to, to, to live long and to prosper, the well-being. And so the argument here is that the well-being, your well-being, the, your, your peace, your prosperity, comes from being in a good relationship with God, comes from being in fellowship with God, comes from being in peace with God. It's saying that to dwell with God is to live your life to the fullest. And so the peace offering that we'll see here is a celebration. It's a celebration of fellowship with God. Um, the peace offering, as, you know, if you read through it, again, I can't cover all the verses, but if you read through it, it, it doesn't look much different to the burnt offering. Right? It, it has three categories. Right? We're going back to animals now. Right? We're now sacrificing animals again. It goes back to three categories. You have animals from the herd. So this usually refers to cattle or bulls. Then we have animals from the flock. And it, it actually talks about the lamb and the goat. There's no bird offerings for this one. And I'll, I'll, I'll get to why. But we see here three categories. The herd from the herd or a lamb or a goat. And with these offerings, the procedures are the same. You pretty much kill the animal at the entrance. You sprinkle the blood on the altar and then you burn it. Here's the difference. Instead of burning the whole carcass, instead what they do is they take the fat of the animal, just the fat, and they burn the fat only to the Lord. It says here, for instance, in verse 3, it says, From the sacrifice of the peace offering as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove from the kidneys. All these things are then burned on the altar. Why the fat? The fat is considered the choice part of the animals. The, it's the USDA choice part, right? Uh, it's in... In other settings, right, when we think about the word fat, it, it represents abundance, right? You, th you think about the phrase, the fat of the land, right? You're, 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 you're saying that this is the best part of the land. It's, it's fruitful. It's abundant. And we're saying here that the best part, the best part of the animal belongs to the Lord, as we covered earlier. 
And so, in verse, and so if this part belongs to the Lord, this is why at the end of chapter three, in verse seventeen, there is actually a, a for a forbiddance given to Israel, saying that for Israel, it says here in verse seventeen, it shall be a statue forever throughout your generation in all your dwelling places that you Israel eat neither fat nor blood. Fat because the fat belongs to the Lord. Blood because blood here is. The blood represents life and is used to make atonement for our souls. So you don't eat the blood. We'll get to that in Leviticus chapter, what was it? I think it's chapter 17, where it actually talks more about what it means for the blood to be the life, the animal. In any case, we see here that Israel is not allowed to eat this. They're not allowed to eat fat or blood, um, which means, you know, they're not allowed to eat fried chicken. They're not allowed to eat a uh, rare steak. They're not allowed to eat... I don't know. Can, I guess they're not allowed to use sushi either. It's, it's a little sad. Uh, thankfully, we don't live in that time. We, that, these regulations no longer apply to us. But I guess Israel must be pretty lean in, in, because their diet seems to be pretty lean. Anyways, regardless of that, that fact, that matter, um, we see here that what makes the peace offering then, at the end of all this, what makes the peace offering distinct from all the offerings is actually not found in chapter 3. It's actually found in chapter 7. Uh, if you turn me quickly to chapter 7, and we'll talk about this more when we do get to Leviticus chapter 7. But in chapter 7, verse 15, read, see this about the, about, the, about the peace offering. It says here, The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for Thanksgiving. So this is a peace offering for Thanksgiving. Remember, there's three reasons why people give peace offerings. This is for Thanksgiving. It says here, It shall be eaten... On the day of his offering, he should not leave any of it until the morning. So what's being what's being said here? It's being mean. What's being said here is that all the the remaining flesh. So the stuff that's once you remove all the fat, and you burn all that on the altar. The remaining flesh, the remaining carcass, is now cooked and shared as a meal with everyone who's present at the tabernacle. This here is communion. This here is a feast. It's no wonder why the peace offering was the most popular offering amongst the people there. It's, the peace offering is a communal meal that symbolizes here. It symbolizes the peace of God that dwells amongst his people. And the people here then have a unity with one another. They're a family. They're a kingdom. They're united together because they all share the same God. It's as if God here is returning the sacrifice and blessing his people with it. Right? It's, he, it's God saying, you, do, you bring this peace offering, you will be taken care of. I'm here. Come to my dinner table. Come to my banquet table. Feast with me. Live long and prosper. What we see here is that the peace offering, the peace offering then expresses the riches, the richness and the blessings that we have in fellowship with God. Again, these, these riches that we get from God, they don't represent our status. We're not, it's not like we earned these riches. It's not like we earned these blessings from God. We, what these riches represent is our relationship with God, fellowship with God. God blesses his people as we bless God with our sacrifices. 
And really, that's... When you think about relationship, one of the deepest part, the greatest part of having a relationship with people is usually happens around a dinner table. Usually happens when we eat together. It's, it's why when I, if, you know, if I were to counsel people, if I didn't try to do discipleship, I usually try my best to do it over a meal. There's something about food that brings people together. And that's true here too. Think about a home-cooked meal. I don't know what's your idea of a home-cooked meal. I don't know, you know what, what you think of. But a home-cooked meal, oftentimes, is not about the food itself. Usually, if you ask, you can find a professional chef that can probably cook that food a little bit better. But the reason why a home-cooked meal is missed so dearly is because of the love that's being poured out, either from your parents, from siblings, someone who is willing to put in the work and effort to bless you. It's about the relationship that you have with the person who's giving you that meal. In the same way here, then, we see here that this, this peace offering ultimately is about our relationship with God, which is oftentimes why this peace offering is also often called the fellowship offering. Now, this is all, again, Leviticus, Israel. What does it mean, then, for us? What does it mean for us? As you'll hear me say over and over again in this series, Jesus Christ fulfills these laws and these regulations that we will see here in Leviticus. You hear me say that again and again. The question is, how? How does Jesus Christ fulfill these things? Well, for the grain and the peace offering, we have to, again, look at the heart of the law. We have to look at the heart of the law. The grain offering symbolizes your undefiled devotion to the Lord, typically with Gratitude. You, you offer this undefiled devotion to the Lord with gratitude. You remember His grace. You're thankful and you offer yourself to Him. The peace offering symbolizes then your surrender to the Lord that's out of joy. A joy that you're in relationship with Him. A joy that you're in fellowship with Him. Let me remind you guys again the progression of the story here of Leviticus. God does not give this law to Israel, does not give Leviticus to Israel as a test. He's not testing Israel. What God is doing here is that God is giving, giving these laws out of grace. Right? God saved Israel out of Egypt, declared them to be his people. He loves Israel. And so when we look at these first three offerings, it's really Israel's, again, it's Israel's response to God's love and mercy. It's, it's the offerings of worship. And it's why often, after they burn these offerings, it's, it says here that it's burning with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. It represents this relationship, this sweet, beautiful relationship that you have with God. These offerings are saying, I devote and surrender my life to you, Lord, because I desire to be with my Savior. Guys, we have the same grace and mercy from God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offered Himself, and Jesus being the perfect, unblemished Son of God, He offered Himself as the innocent Lamb, sacrificed upon the cross. And His blood washes away our sin. His blood brings us back into the presence of God. And we, who were once enemies of God, now have access to His banquet table. God invites us into his presence, into his home as his friends. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, We have peace with God through our Lord 
Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. That statement alone is amazing because we who were once enemies, God says, no, I'll give you my son so that you can have peace with me and be in fellowship with me. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. And because he's our perfect sacrifice, there is now no need for a burnt offering, no need for a grain offering, no need for a peace offering, because Jesus is our one and only sacrifice, the only offering that we ever need to come before the throne of God. But again, how do we apply these? Apply these, this Leviticus to our lives today? The heart, the heart of the matter still remains. The heart of worship here still remains. A heart that says, I rejoice to be sitting at the table of the Lord, that there's really nowhere else you'd rather be. And we see all this really come into full expression in the New Testament, in the Lord's Supper. In the Lord's Supper. Uh, Turn with me to, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Lord's Supper, you guys don't know, this is where the where the church Christians come together and we take bread and we take a cup that's, well, here is wine, but usually here at our church we do grape juice because, you know, we're not alcoholics. Um, and it's all symbolic. And, and we take the bread and the cup and we use it to remember Christ. But what we see here, what God wants with the Lord's Supper, what God desires, what, he, what He's saying with the Lord's Supper is that God, He wants us to celebrate life with Him. That's that's one of the first reasons why we do the Lord's Supper. It's because God wants to celebrate life. He wants us to celebrate life. And I said in Him. Right? It's not just with Him, but we are now in Him. We're in Christ. Fellowshipping in God. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. It says here. Um, it says here that this is... Uh, this is Paul here. He's saying he's, he received this instruction from the Lord, which he delivers also to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. A memorial portion. And do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Meaning the Lord's sacrifice. The Lord's offering of himself. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We see here that God wants us to remember and celebrate the cross of Christ when we take the communion, when we take the Lord's Supper together. You know, we, I mean, the Lord's Supper here is important for us. We practice this because we want to celebrate Christ. And so that means that we must take this ordinance seriously. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Verse 27, it says here, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, meaning they have sinned, they have been unrepentant of the sin, in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Well, what's going on here? 
we see here that we have to make sure before we take the bread and the cup, we have to understand ourselves. What's going on in our own hearts? Have you, we, have you repented of your sins? Have you devoted yourself to, to God? If you have, if you have repented. Again, I'm not, we're not saying you're sinless, right? But saying you recognize your sin, you brought it to the cross. You devoted yourself to God. Then you can take the bread and the cup. You see, what you're doing is you're celebrating your union with God. You're celebrating your union with God. And so when you're, what happens when we're united with God? We, well, we have to be made holy and pure. And the only way to do that is to come to the cross. To remember our sins being washed away. We are to do this. Do this with such seriousness. I don't know what goes through your mind I, as you guys think about the way you come before the Lord to church every Sunday. What goes through your mind when on the last Sundays here at our church, we take the Lord's Supper together. What goes through your mind during that time? Do you do it with a certain seriousness, remembering that this here is important? This here celebrates your union with Christ and with one another. Because if you come to church and you just simply take it because this is what, what you do, how much are you really cherishing, cherishing your relationship with God? How much are you truly delighting in your relationship with God? It's like you're going to your friend's birthday party, but when you get there, all you do is you're on your phone the entire time and you're not paying attention or celebrating your friend. You're just attending the party, but you're not really present. When we take the Lord's Supper together, are you focused upon what this truly means? God wants, what God wants us to do, and what He does with these, with these offerings given to Israel, what He wants us to realize here, is that He wants us to take His holiness and our sins seriously. He wants us to take His holiness and your sin seriously. We must have this same seriousness as Israel did when they were given these offerings. And the serious tone here is upheld here in, in the Lord's Supper as well. Turn back with me a chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It's talking again still about the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 14. And this begins here with Paul saying, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. So flee from sin. I speak as, a, as, as to sensible people. Judge for yourself what I say. So, so Paul here is just again arguing himself, showing himself to, presenting himself, his argument to the church. He says in verse 16, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And he says this, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider here, look at this, verse 18, Consider the people of Israel, pointing back to Israel now, Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? So, most likely he's talking about the peace offerings here. 
They're the ones, that's when they eat together. Are the, when they part, when are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants mean they all together, participants as one people in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything. No, I imply that what pagan sacrifices what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. What Paul is saying here, what Paul is saying here is that there's a certain importance, again, a seriousness, of understanding your sins brought before God in fellowship with the rest of the church. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, he talks about those who are entering sexual immorality. And if, if, you, if, you're, if you commit sex with a prostitute because you're one with Christ, you're almost as if you're bringing Christ to be defiled by that prostitute. You see, that's how strong our union with God is. When it's done in Christ. That's how strong the blood of Christ is. And this is why, again, we must take our sins seriously. But more so, this is important because not only does your sin taint your personal life, it taints the body of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. That if you yourself pursue idolatry, if you pursue idolatry, you're not just tainting yourself, but you're tainting your brothers and sisters next to you. Your sin will not just corrupt your own body, but like a leaven, it will permeate and spread throughout the church. Do you flee idolatry? Do you seek to kill? Do you take your sins seriously? All this matters. As we come together, especially on the day of the Lord's Supper, that we're celebrating Christ, we're celebrating the washing away of your sins. This is not light news. This is, this is awesome, joyous news, but it's supposed to be taken with a certain seriousness. But let me end then with some good news. The good news is that though we may fall, and we will fall many times, perhaps you felt like you fell. This past week. Though we may fall, Christ holds us fast. Though we may have many idols, Christ destroys them all at the foot of the cross. Though we have, may have sinned and corrupted the church, Jesus' blood continues to wash away our sins. Though we may have been unfaithful, Jesus remains our great high priest who remembers and mediates on our behalf. Our place at the banquet table has been reserved by the blood of Christ. God is welcoming you in. Let us then remember Jesus' sacrifice with such great awe and gratitude. And so the next time when we do take communion, I think it happens in two weeks here for us here at this church. Next time you take communion, remember. Remember Jesus' body which was broken for you. Remember His blood that He shed for you. Remember and give thanks. Remember and devote yourself wholly unto the Lord. Remember and rejoice at the peace that we have of God because of the fellowship 
that we have with Jesus and the fellowship that we have with one another. Jesus here is our perfect sacrifice. And here's our all in all. And because of Jesus, we can celebrate our fellowship. We can celebrate our fellowship with God, our fellowship in Christ. How? By constantly remembering again to repent of our sins daily and devoting ourselves wholly unto the Lord. Let us continue to remember the cross. Remember why the gospel matters so much to us. Remember why we have such great joy when we come to church, when we see our friends, when we live life together. Remember why this, even this fellowship here for you collegians exists. All this to bring you back before God so that we can rejoice in His blessings, rejoice in His presence. God is communing with us because of what Jesus did on the cross. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that shows us indeed just how good and faithful you are to us. And Lord, I pray then in our hearts that we will continue to remember your grace, your sacrifice with great and deep gratitude, with a response of worship and praise, with a commitment and a devotion to you. Lord, let us continue to honor you with our lives. And Lord, thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you, God, for Jesus who, who died on the cross, who shed his blood so that we may be washed clean, made pure and holy, so that we may be saved and enter into a peaceful relationship with you. Lord, let us let us then celebrate that and remember just how good you are to us. Lord, as we go now into times of discussion in our community groups, I pray, Lord, that we'll continue then to point each other towards Christ and that we encourage one another and continue to bring all of who we are at the foot of the cross, at the throne of grace, and just be reminded of the joyful fellowship that we have in Christ alone. I pray all this in your name. Amen.